Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Puck Poolies Podcast with Matt Larkin and Stephen Ellis. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to a new edition of Puck Poolies. It's Matt Larkin here with Stephen Ellis. And hard to believe, it's our 20th episode, Stephen. It seems like we just started this podcast. We're moving deep into the NHL season. And are you are you in the camp of liking this Sunbelt Final Four? Or are you angry that there are no big market teams? I'm happy with it. You know, I'm someone who loves international hockey, loves seeing the game grow. I can't complain one bit. So I'd say for sure, you know, this is this is good. And, you know, the Hurricanes get, you know, I don't think they get the, the love they deserve for how incredible that fan base is. And we saw in the playoffs, Dallas has been a lot of fun. Florida has been a lot of fun. So and then Vegas is it's Vegas. So I don't think it's as bad as people are making it out to be. Yeah, I think it's a it's a litmus test of people's fanhood. If you really are a fan of the game itself, it's going to be quality hockey to watch. So it's kind of like calling people's bluff on that, but we'll see. It also means the season is winding down. We have a little more time to reflect on the entire season from a fantasy perspective, and that's why today for this episode, we are doing our Puck Pooley's first annual fantasy awards, and we're going to start the show that way, Stephen. I'm ready if you are. All right, let's start easy in my favorite category, which is the Rookie of the Year. Yeah, the Rookie of the Year. So, again, for anyone listening, just a reminder, this is fantasy context, not just picking the Calder Trophy finalist necessarily. Uh, although this person is a Calder Trophy finalist, I'm going with Stuart Skinner. And I know Matty Beniers is probably going to win the Calder Trophy, but if you look at the actual impact in fantasy, 29 wins, 913 save percentage. And even though Skinner was not consistent in the playoffs, he was consistent in the regular season, and that includes the fantasy playoffs. So to me, if you picked up Skinner on waivers or something, you got quite a lift. And that's why, in my opinion, he is the Rookie of the Year. And if you heard a lot of buzzing going on, it's because we, uh, we've we got an Amber Alert going on. So that's Yes, we both do. Wow. Okay, Thunder uh, Bay. Yeah, so kind of a, a strange timing for that. Uh, you know, I, I was thinking Stuart Skinner. Logan Thompson deserves a lot of love for what he was able to do in the first half of that season. But I'm going to go Matty Beniers just because he was so consistent. You could rely on him pretty much any month of the year. You know, you saw rookies where... You know, there were times where Stuart Skinner wasn't the number one goalie in Edmonton this year, and, and Jack Campbell was, and while that wasn't a lot, you know, you could at least count on Matty Beniers doing something, you know, at least kind of every other game, and and that consistency is why he was my pick for the 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 uh, Calder this year, just because you know he was just every month he was one of the top players, never the best, never won Rookie of the Month, but he was always one of the best. So uh, that's my pick there. Uh, let's do the next one, which is I think one of the more interesting ones this year, which was best defenseman. Yeah, it was a pretty tightly contested race, and I, I was very tempted to go with Rasmus Dahlin because he contributed to so many different categories, but. 
at the end of the day, Eric Carlson had 25 points more than the closest defenseman. That is a ridiculous margin, 101 points for EK65. So to me, it's overthinking it. And again, I'm not saying Eric Carlson was the best defenseman in the league in real life. He wasn't my first place vote on my Norris Trophy ballot, for the record. But in fantasy, to have a defenseman with more than 100 points for the first time in 31 years, that's just unbelievable. So he is my pick. Yeah, you can't go wrong with a guy that literally outscored most forwards. Um, so yeah, that was my pick there too. You know, not my guy to win the Norris, but just in terms of just pure offense, you know, that's what he's been able to do throughout his career. And it was, you know, nobody I think saw him getting like a career revival at this point. Uh, we know he could put up points on the board, but to go out there and get over a hundred points on the San Jose Sharks of all teams, you know, that's that's just unbelievable. So he deserves a lot of credit for that. Um, whether or not he is the best defenseman in the league. Depends on how you view it, but from an offensive standpoint, you know, there's a reason he got so many points in fantasy this year. Uh, this one, you know, I say, I guess rookie of the year was my favorite, but this one is, uh, I always have a soft spot for goalies. So, best goaltender. Yeah, I was very tempted to go with Ilya Sorokin. I think maybe he was the best actual goaltender this season, but again, I think you might be overthinking it in that case for fantasy context because Linus Allmark won the Triple Crown. Wins, goals against average, save percentage, those are all common categories in fantasy. So yes, Sorokin had the six shutouts and he had the advantage there, but just in terms of overall contribution for so many different categories, I think you have to give it to Linus Allmark and especially factoring in that whoever had him and wrote him this year probably got him fairly late in their draft. There was a lot of talk of Jeremy Swayman taking over as the number one this year. So I think there are a lot of teams that won their leagues because they drafted Linus Elmark. Yeah, I had Elmark, uh, and he's my pick there too, obviously, but I, I gave him up. I was just that <laughs> confident in Sorokin and in Chesterkin early enough in the season, and I'm like, you know what? I'm good with those two. And, you know, for a guy to go out there and get 40 wins and be as good as he did, uh, obviously you can't go wrong there. It's just reality was who, whoever was in net for Boston, you were going to probably come out with a win and it was going to work out. But the way that Olmark was able to just get the job done, it's like, you know, there's a reason that he's one of the favorites here for the Vesna Trophy. So can't go wrong there. Uh, this one's an interesting one. The Banger League Beast. Yeah, and if you're in a banger league, you could argue that this is also the MVP award. I won't really push you back too hard on that one. But to me, it's pretty much every season right now, Brady Kachuk is the banger league beast because he is providing first-line caliber offense. It's slowly but surely getting better. Career highs, 35 goals, 83 points this season. But he's always in the league leaders in shots and hits. 347 shots, 242 hits. It sort of feels like a cheat code if you have Brady Kachuk. And I always find if you don't have him, it's just impossible to get him. I'm in a banger league, and whoever every year, whoever has Brady Kachuk will never trade him. You'll have to overpay so much because he's like having two players in one. He's a scorer and a grinder put together, and it's almost unfair to have him. Similar to the way it was with Pete Career, Alex Ovechkin was just like it was having like like having Mike Trout in fantasy baseball. It was just almost unfair. So Kachuk to me is definitely the banger league beast. Yeah, I'm going with uh, Rasmus Dahlin. Uh, I wanted to just pick a defenseman for this one. Goes up against 15 goals, 73 hits, a lot of hits, block shots, everything, 92 penalty minutes. Like this guy just did a whole lot of everything this year for the Buffalo Sabres. And, you know, every year we're seeing progress here. And that was a great rookie season. Kind of fell off a little bit in the sophomore season. And every year since then, it's been going up. And that's what you like to see. The Buffalo Sabres have a very good future here. And I think, you know, with defensemen, because, you know, it's hard to get points in a lot of cases from the blue line. Um, 
in the in fantasy hockey compared to forwards or even in goal. Uh, it was good to see a guy go out there and be as productive as he was in kind of all categories. So uh, that was my pick there. The next one co- is going to be the fantasy most valuable player. Well, I'll put it in perspective this way. Would you be happy if you had a player with 32 goals and 77 points? Pretty useful, right, for your fantasy team? Well, that is half Connor McDavid's production. <laughs> if you, Connor McDavid is two 32-goal, 77-point players put together. That's how good he was. That's how far ahead of the pack he was. So even if he's not going to be the 300-hit guy, it doesn't matter. He had 64 goals, wasn't it? 64 goals, I believe. 153 points. And... The greatest fantasy hockey season, I'd say, I'd almost say since Mario Lemieux, but I think Alex Ovechkin in the the early 2000s, early to mid 2000s, was also doing crazy stuff because of the shot totals and hit totals as well. But I'd say at least the best fantasy season since Pico Ovechkin, Connor McDavid, just on another planet. It's not even close. I wrote down Shea Weber as a joke, but no, really. it was it was it was truly McDavid, and no one else was even in the same uh, atmosphere. At the opposite end of the spectrum, fantasy bust, and this one's easy. Yeah, this one is. I had to just triple check the stats. I couldn't believe the degree of drop off here. Uh, and here again, I'll I'll play the same game. Do you think a sixty point player is pretty useful in fantasy? Well, that is just the drop off in points for Jonathan Uberdo. From one season to the next, his last season as a Florida Panther, 115 points. He set an NHL record for assists by a left winger. And he falls to 55, from 115 to 55. And most of it, I think you can blame on Daryl Sutter. He immediately put Huberto on his wrong wing and played him there for, I think, 50 games at right wing, even though he's a left winger for his whole career. It definitely messed him up. And I do think Huberto will be a major bounce back candidate next year. But still... Just based on the expectation, he was drafted in the first couple rounds pretty much universally this season. And to get 55 points after 115, I just cannot believe that drop-off. I'm curious if it actually is in contention for an NHL record for the biggest season drop-off, especially not factoring in injuries. So I'm sure there's a player that had a monster season, got hurt. But for someone who didn't miss a significant portion of the season, to drop 60 points is just absolutely mind-blowing for me. Yeah, I, again, can't go wrong with that one there. You know, it's it, for me, I, I fully expect to bounce back. I don't think this is going to be a two year thing, but just given the fact that Calgary as a whole just really underachieved this year, didn't even make the playoffs when you, everyone thought, you know, after the season they had last year, yeah, they lost some key players, but they were still bringing in a, a guy that got over 100 points last year. A great defenseman there, Mackenzie Weger. They should be able to turn this around. And clearly it did not work. Um, but I do still feel how, like this team uh, or this player, um, should be able to bounce back next year. Uh, this one is another interesting one. Waiver Wire MVP. Yeah, I was looking at a couple defensemen that had huge breakout seasons. Brandon Montour, I almost leaned his way, but I instead went towards someone who I don't think had a lot of respect in fantasy leagues going into the season because he was sort of toiling in obscurity on the Seattle Kraken. I don't think anyone was taking the Kraken seriously in real life, but also as a fantasy-friendly environment, except for me. I had an article in which I picked Vince Dunn as the cheapest source of 50 points in all of fantasy. Not only did he hit that mark, he went for 64 points and was one of the best all-around defensemen in the NHL. Had an unbelievable season. And I think when I was doing my rankings, I I believe going into the season, he was outside the top 200, even right before uh, draft day. So anyone who got Vince Dunn got him relatively late and turned a massive profit. And that's why, for me, he's the waiver wire MVP. 
Well, you mentioned mine already, and that is Brandon Montour. You know, you look at his stats this year, 16 goals, 57 assists, 73 points, 170 or 107 penalty minutes, absolutely demolished every career high of his. You know, when you look at him in Anaheim and Buffalo, he went through some rough years and he goes to Florida and, you know, he's, he's a decent contributor, nothing too special last year. Good season for him. Goes out there and gets 37 points. Takes advantage of some injuries in the blue line. But this year, he truly took over. And we're seeing him in the playoffs right now. He's got another nine points. So it wasn't like it was a fluke. But he's been such a key part of this team going as far as they had. So, you know, the way Brandon Montour is playing, you just can't go wrong there. So uh, that's my pick. And uh, this one is maybe the toughest one. It was the one that I had to do the most research on. And that would be late season search player. Yeah, I call it the league winner because it's someone who comes on so late in the season that basically it only helps you if you're still alive in your fantasy playoffs or if you're in your final push in a Roto League. And they don't necessarily have a great season, but they do something during the final couple of weeks that puts you over the top. And that's why I'm going with Joseph Wolf for the Toronto Maple Leafs. He had a sizzling finish to the season. Very short sample size. He went 6-1 and one for the Leafs with, I think it was 932 save percentage. They sat Ilya Samsonov down the stretch. They were arresting him, and they just turned to Wall, and Wolf stood on his head. So if you were someone who just in desperation picked up Joseph Wall when you're in your fantasy championship week, you probably won. I can assume you won your league because he was just lights out during that final stretch of the season. I'm going with a slightly bigger sample size there, and I'm going with Tommy Novak going out there and getting 32 mm-hmm. points in his final 32 games. No one really saw that coming. And I don't know how much to believe that for next year, but when Nashville needed someone to be a really big contributor down the line, he was one of those guys. And, you know, we're looking at Milwaukee and seeing how much fun that AHL team is with all that talent. And he started the year there and looked really good. He deserved that call up. But to go out there get a point per game in the final 32 games, I think that's since February 1st. Like, that's just... No one in the world saw that coming. So uh, for me, it's got to be Tommy Novak. So uh, yeah, that's, I believe, all our awards here. That's it. That's it. Yeah. So, all right. Well, I guess we can look at our tip of the week. And this one is an interesting one. I I wasn't sure where you were going to be taking this, but the offseason is your friend. Don't check out until late September. Yeah. So I'm going to use a baseball example for this little parable. Okay. So uh, I had a, I, I sort of rut. I'm, I've been pretty dominant fantasy baseball, but maybe like 10, 11, 12 years ago, I had a rut where I wasn't very good for a couple of seasons. And it sort of was a self perpetuating cycle because my team would be out of it by near the end of the season. I'd be checked out. I wouldn't really notice the September call ups or the late season breakouts because I'm already checked out. Then I'd sort of be tuned out in the off season and then start paying attention right before the season started again. But I was already behind on my knowledge. And then it, it was hard to climb out of that. I started having trouble again and again and again. And then when I realized I broke through one year and I was in it to the end and I won, I thought, oh, the next year I really knew all the top prospects because I was there right to the end and I was staying on top of the knowledge. And it sort of reminded me I shouldn't totally check out if I can help it. And the same thing applies to fantasy hockey. Don't just think, okay, my season's done. I don't have to do anything until September because you'll be playing catch up. If you at least, hey, you want to enjoy your summer. I'm not saying become a study freak. But just when there are at least big tentpole parts of the calendar, like the NHL draft, pay attention to that because you're going to get an idea of which players might be fantasy viable very early in their careers. Of course, free agency. So just enjoy your cottage life, but don't totally check out. Because if you do, you'll be scrambling in September. You'll be trying to catch up. You'll be trying to learn about injuries. And you'll be cramming, and that'll put you behind the sharper GMs. So just remember, keep tabs on the news cycle in the offseason. And I know a great website where everyone can go check out the news cycle. It's called dailyfaceoff.com. Yes, nice plug. Like that. All right, guess it's best bets time. 
Yeah, so obviously there are, there's not a ton of hockey left to bet on. There's only four teams left. But I, I like hammering the Stanley Cup futures because ain't nobody respecting my Dallas Stars. This is the team that I picked to win the Stanley Cup at the start of the playoffs. I actually picked them as a Stanley Cup finalist as far back as March when I did my little formula of Stanley Cup ingredients. Boston was the other team, so I lost on that one. But hey, I got Dallas so far. And if you look at ProLine's odds right now, ProLine Plus, of course, our sponsor, the Dallas Stars still are not getting the respect. They have the third best odds to win the Stanley Cup, plus 375. Florida Panthers are last. So to me, I still think Dallas has the best team in the playoffs. They have the best star left in the playoffs, Jason Robertson, in terms of star forward. I think they have the best defenseman left in the playoffs in Mira Heiskanen. They have the best goalie left in the playoffs, Jake Ottinger. So I don't know why anyone is not looking Dallas's way when putting down these bets. And they have maybe the Conn Smythe Trophy front runner as well and Rupe Hintz. So to me, they still have all the ingredients. I love the fact that they have the third best odds. That's a great way to turn a nice little profit. So Dallas Stars, Stanley Cup Futures, I'm sticking with them plus 375. What do you think? I like that. And, you know, with Jake Ottinger, because I'm doing the preview for uh, this this series, and looking at Jake Ottinger stats, and they're not pretty. Actually, in a lot of categories, he's below, he's definitely below the league average in the playoffs, but he's been one of the worst goalies in a lot of categories, especially goals saved above average. But, you know, these are small sample sizes, so the stats could skew a lot. And we're looking at Aiden Hill right now, looks like the best goal in the world. But with Ottinger, you know, getting pulled a few times definitely did not help his stats. But I do think, you know, if he's out there playing like he did last night in, in Game 7, it's like you just don't want to count out against the Dallas Stars. This team looks better than it did when they made the final a couple of years ago. And, you know, they're just continuing to get better. It, there was a point where it looked like this team, maybe not rebuild, but it was like, whoa, okay, you make the Stanley Cup final, then you miss the playoffs next year. Like, what's going to happen? But the fact they've been able to get scoring from everywhere, getting great defense, seeing Miro Heiskanen played like 98% of the game last night, it felt like. It's just this team is just firing on all cylinders. I would not want to bet against them right now. That's right. It'll be interesting to see. And of course, as always, a word from our sponsor, ProLine Plus is not just another sportsbook. Being the only sportsbook that gives 100% of the profits back to Ontario, ProLine has been your local trusted sportsbook for over 30 years, now offering Ontario sports fans more ways to play in-store, online, or take the game on the go with the ProLine app. With your favorite sports and events right at your fingertips, download the ProLine app and bet in-app with ProLine Plus today or head over to ProLine Plus .ca to learn more. So, Stephen, uh, I think it's time now to take some listener questions. We've got some interesting ones this week, I believe. All right, we'll start off. I believe we've got three of them today. We've got a good one from Ranton and Raven. Where would you decide, or when would you decide to shake things up and redraft a keeper league? Would anything lead you to doing that? Ooh, this is a fun one because I actually have a really specific example for you, Ranton and Raven, because this actually happened to us in my league a few years ago. We had to reboot the whole thing. Part of it was because I, I think of COVID and there was a season that was that was lost, so no one knew exactly what their keepers would be, et cetera, et cetera. But there's another reason we did it. So we realized that because we allowed trading of picks, that teams were going extreme in their tanking. So you'd have a team would trade nine draft picks, load up, contend for the title, and then every year it would be eight and eight alternating. You'd have buyers and sellers. The buyers would go crazy, trade all their picks. They'd be terrible the next year. The sellers would have all the picks they got the year before. They'd be dominant. And it just kept going back and forth. We'd have the, we'd have eight teams trading, and there was no sense of excitement because it was you can you knew which eight teams are going to be good and which eight teams are going to be bad so what we did is we made it tweak because we realized people are just bending the rules exploiting the system too much 
and we decided to limit draft pick trading. You can only trade two picks per season. And that really fixed the parity. You actually have the possibility of a team can be good two years in a row. Whereas we were in a situation where you literally you could not be good two seasons in a row. You'd be good, bad, good, bad, good, bad. So I think this applies to your question just in terms of are you look are, are you seeing signs in your league that something's broken and are people sort of bending the rules within reason? So they're doing things that are legal, but that are kind of just cheap. And are the results of the league becoming predictable? Is the power structure being too set? And is there only a certain number of teams that can compete every year? If you're in that situation, then I think you have to sort of put your heads together and change the rules of your league. All right. The next question is from Bring Back Briere. They had a Sabres logo. Sorry, uh, I don't think Briere is going back to the Sabres. I think he's a little busy right now with the Philadelphia Flyers. Will Devin Levi be the undisputed number one next year in Buffalo? I play in a deep league, but think I could strike gold there. I do think you can strike gold. I think undisputed would be too strong of a word because, again, the sample size is small. Devin Levi, he's a small goaltender. It might take him a while just to adjust fully to the NHL, so we can't sort of anoint him a star. If I were to place a bet, do I think Devin Levi is going to be a star? Yes, I do. I do think he is the future in Buffalo's net. But the goaltender position is so fickle, it's entirely possible he is jockeying for, for position with Ukapeka Lukin next year. I've also seen some some sort of rumor speak out there that the Sabres might be trying to target a bigger name goaltender to pair with Devin Levi. So that would obviously change everything. So the way I describe it is be excited if you have Devin Levi, but I wouldn't say bet on him, put all your eggs in that basket and say, this is my number one for my fantasy team next year. I'd say you have a great young goaltender who's a great young prospect. And there's a, if he's your, you know, your third goalie next year, something like that, then you could turn a really nice profit and he could be super helpful next year. It's also worth noting that Eric Comrie is signed next season. So it's not like like they still got to figure out what to do there, especially if they're going to bring in another goalie there. So definitely not a clear-cut situation. Right now he's playing at the World Championship. He is the backup to Samuel Montembeau, but we saw what he did with Montreal this year, and that's understandable. But with Devin Levi, you know, the ceiling is high here, but it's okay if they're patient. You know, he just came out of college. He's still very young. You know, Lokanen's been in the system longer. In you know, he looked like he was going to be the goalie of the future. Devin Levi comes out of, I don't want to say nowhere, but he was a seventh-round pick that they had to trade for from Florida. Uh, that has turned out to be very good. So, you know, that would be a very interesting one-two goalie combo. And you got to think like Luokin, and if he's going to make it, it's got to be next season. Um, but, and he took some nice steps this year, but, you know, if they are going to go out there and get another goalie, uh, a veteran or a bigger name, you know, that obviously makes that tougher. So it'll be interesting to see how they do manage that. But I do agree. I don't think, you know, Levi could be the number one next year, but I don't think it would be undisputed. I don't think he's going to run away with it by any means. Yeah. And before we get to the next question, I just wanted to add one thing, Stephen. Um, if you look at Spencer Knight in Florida, that's a cautionary tale about just pre-anointing a goalie a star. And it's funny, the Panthers traded Devin Levi because they were so sure about Spencer Knight. And obviously, we don't know exactly what he's going through, but even before he went to the player assistance program last season too, there wasn't a consistent performance and everyone just assumed he was taking over that net from Bobrovsky. So it's a good example that you can't just assume that because a guy is an elite goaltending prospect that the path is going to be linear and he's automatically going to be a star right away. Yeah, and there was a lot more signs that Spencer Knight was going to be the better goalie. Uh, now, of hindsight, you know, it's, it's still 
Levi's only played a few NHL games, you know, so we can't really say anything there, but you look at the college, what he was able to do there. And we'll, so we'll see what happens next, but I have a lot of high hopes in, in Devin Levi, you know, again, going out there and dominating college is different than dominating in the NHL, especially as a smaller goalie. But, you know, it, even if he plays in the AHL for a bit, I don't think it hurts. Like, you know, it's a guy that's still very young. You could be patient with him. It's just, it was time for him to get out of college. Doesn't necessarily mean he's got to be with the Sabres. It could be with Rochester next year, but we'll see. Especially Especially if they have Malcolm Subban there, given how well he's played, that'd be a great mentor. But again, we'll see. And the next question comes from Jake Simpson. Shane Wright or Yuri Slavkovsky, long-term, your pick? This one's interesting. Yeah, it'd be the same question that, that, that Kent Hughes was asking himself on draft day last year. And to me, if you're looking for ceiling upside, then I think you go Yuri Slavkovsky. But personally, I lean Shane Wright. I think Shane Wright is much safer. The floor is much higher because we know he's going to grow into that sort of two-way acumen. And I think he's got a really underrated shooting release too. So I think there's still, I think, more potential than a lot of people realize for offense from Shane Wright. So I just... I lean towards safer player, and I, and just with Slavkovsky, yes, there's more ceiling, but I think there's a lot of risk there too. I just think he's someone that might go down as a reach for the Habs, and I was not totally sold on him as number one overall last year in the draft. I still think there's plenty of potential there, but I just don't know with that big body if he's going to be able to keep up with the speed of the NHL. So I, I lean right. I just think he's much safer. I, I do agree. Um, you know, the one thing well, you could say in like, oh, like Shane Wright struggled in the NHL, got sent down to the OHL and just did not work out. But, you know, look at how good Seattle was this year. You know, it was going to be harder to crack that team when you look at the hindsight there. When it comes to Slavkowski, there was a big argument that, yes, he was more NHL ready, but he had a lot of issues there, too, to the point of like, should he have gone to the World Juniors? And then he missed a lot of time with injury this year. So we didn't get to see really him get comfortable. And I think he does need some help with Montreal. I do think their roster needs to get a little better. Um, you know, long-term, I think, you know, Montreal's got a very good future, but, you know, and they're going to get another top pick this year that will help. But with Shane Wright, I think, you know, I still think he's the better prospect. Um, but Slavkowski could be the better goal scorer in a lot of cases. So if you're looking from a fantasy perspective, that might be more valuable as opposed to Shane Wright, where a lot of his value recently has come from his defensive play and how, how reliable he could be in his own zone. So, you know, that doesn't translate to fantasy hockey. So it goes a couple of different ways, but I think, you know, the overall better player, I'm still going with Shane, right? In my opinion. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I think it's, it's a good point just in terms of the actual skill set that Slavkovsky could be a little bit more fantasy friendly. So fair enough. So, okay, we're going to finish it off with the starting lineup. And I believe the challenge is yours this week, Stephen, to issue to me. All right. So we've asked, I've asked you in the past to name your favorite non uh, uh, NHL or I guess hockey athletes. But this time I want to go specific since, you know, coincidentally, we're both going to the Toronto Blue Jays game today. Uh, that just kind of happened out of, out of funny circumstance. Um, pick your favorite baseball players of all time. Okay, I am a big baseball fan. I have been since I was a little kid. So for this this exercise, I decided to only do players that were active during my lifetime. So I could say Hank Aaron is my dad's favorite player, but technically I never got to see Hank Aaron play, so I'm going to exclude that era. I'm going to start with Tony Gwynn. Tony Gwynn, it's a really fun rabbit hole to dive down just in terms of him being an unbelievable pure hitter, what he was capable of, similar to Ishiro when he came through. But some of the Tony Gwynn numbers are absolutely mind-boggling in terms of just how difficult he was to strike out. And there are guys that strike out more than in one season than Tony Gwynn did in his entire career. It's pretty unbelievable. So it's worth the deep dive just to see how 
fantastic a pure hitter he was. Next up, Jose Batista. I'm not saying he's one of the greatest players of all time. He was a very good player, but he's on my list just because I like the drama and the swagger he brought to the table. Of course, the bat flip, but that wasn't the only bat flip he ever did. He carried that charisma, that machismo throughout his career, and he got under the other team's skin. It was, it was He was the kind of player that if he was against your team, you didn't want to cheer for him because he was annoying, but he was fun to have on your team. And I'm someone who I like seeing more flair and excitement in baseball. So some people don't like that. I personally love it. And the day after the bat flip, I kept a GIF of it on repeat on my computer open the entire day. Next up, I've got Randy Johnson, the big unit. Just because when he came along, there was really no one like him in the history of baseball or pro sports. He was six foot 10. He was throwing, I think, close to 100 miles an hour. He was striking out batters at an absolutely ridiculous clip, almost double what a good strikeout pitcher gets today. And just seeing other players' reactions to facing this guy when he first started breaking through was hilarious. Most most famously, I think it was the 93 All-Star game, John Cruck. Back when there wasn't yet interleague play, John Cruck of the Phillies facing Randy Johnson and being absolutely terrified, saying, who is this guy? I love the effect, the intimidation of the big unit. Next up, Frank Thomas, one probably my favorite player when I was a kid. He was just such a specimen. He was the size of a football player. He was a football player. I think he was a tight end. And... He also wasn't just a brute at the plate, despite having this massive build. He was a really nuanced hitter with an unbelievably patient eye. I know he was not known as a very likable teammate, but that's not what I'm worried about. It doesn't affect me. I just like watching the big hurt play. Number two, my favorite Blue Jay of all time, Roy Halladay. I just loved his bulldog mentality, his meticulous commitment to his game, to being in shape, to working on his pitches, the fact that he went down to the minors and rebuilt himself and came back. Always just a gamer, the definition of a gamer, RIP Roy Halladay. And my last one, I'm about to sneeze. So I don't know whether to announce my number one or sneeze first. Okay, I'm fighting off the sneeze. Barry Bonds. That's right. Take that, everybody. I don't care if you call him a cheater. They were all cheaters. Everyone was a cheater during his era. Before he started cheating, he already was building a Hall of Fame career. If you saw his physique change, it was far after he already had a Hall of Fame resume, multiple MVPs. And he was reacting to the home run chase with the roided up Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa. I think in Bonds' case, it was it was a matter of, oh, yeah, you want to see what happens when I do steroids? He has the greatest batting eye of all time, the most fearsome hitter of all time, unbelievable power, swagger, hated by most people in baseball. I don't care. I love villains. I love characters. And I will always defend Barry Bonds as the greatest baseball player of all time. So that is the conclusion of my list, Steven. When I grew up watching Barry Bonds highlights every morning before going to school, it's like, man, this guy's so much fun. And, you know, I, I say I'm more of a Blue Jays fan than a, than an overall baseball fan. Um, but just watching him and just what he was able to do, it's like, you know, I don't care. I, I want every player on steroids as long as they stay healthy because, like, that was just so much more fun, just the way he was able to just knock it out of the park. Like, not just a home run, like, literally out of the park was a lot of fun. And with Batista, you know, going through his stats a couple of days ago, and it's like, man, he fell off incredibly quickly after, you know, that those two runs with the Blue Jays, which was too bad to see that. I think he played for three teams in his final year, but, uh, you know, I, I, will, I will always remember those moments that he had with uh, the Blue Jays during those two playoff runs back-to-back where it was just so much fun to see. So, uh, yeah, that's that. All righty. Well, that's it for this week's episode. Fairly short and sweet as the season is winding down, but we'll be back soon. Absolutely. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you to ProLine Plus, and we will see you next time. Hold up. 
Have you ever Googled your own name? Prepare for a shock because your personal info, including addresses and phone numbers, is all out there. It's all harvested by data brokers and sold legally. Aura is a personal digital security service that scans the internet for your sensitive information and provides a full suite of privacy-enhancing tools. For a limited time, Aura is offering listeners a 14-day free trial at aura.com safety. That's A-U-R-A dot slash safety to learn more and activate the 14-day trial period. Do you ever feel like money is just flying out of your account and you have no idea where it's going? Well, I know it's all of those subscriptions. I used Rocket Money to help me find out what subscriptions I'm actually spending money on, and I had them cancel the ones I didn't want anymore. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash pod24. That's rocketmoney.com slash pod24. rocketmoney.com slash pod24.